0: Hello, Grace family. It's Ryan here, and I have some wonderful news to share. We successfully uh, fulfilled 100,000 meals this last weekend, and they are on their way down to Venezuela as we speak. It's a long process, but it should be getting there in a month or to a month and a half. Um, I think I was most encouraged because um, we had so many different types of groups and people come together to do the to do the meal packing at home event. Um, we had people come out of quarantine to grab their kits to go back home. We had uh, families do it. We had families and neighbors do it. We had home gatherings do it. Uh, we had so many different types of groups to come together and it was fun to see some of you because I haven't seen you in so long uh, drive through our, our, our pickup process and send you on your way and then have you drop it back off. So I felt like Man, here's an event that we can all get behind, and you did, and I, I'm so proud of our Grace uh, family and our Grace community as we were the kingdom of God in this instant. We were literally God's hands and feet preparing these meals, and even though we weren't all together, um, we, we all contributed, and so for that, I am so thankful that we are still able during this time to find ways to encourage one another and to be the body of Christ and so um, if you want to know more, we got some more things that everybody can contribute to and come around uh, in the next few weeks. So I'm sitting on it. I'm not going to announce it uh, just yet, but do do listen uh, and look for some upcoming emails from me because I'm sure you'll want to participate in what we have to come. Uh, this morning, we are continue talking about the kingdom of God. And so if you would, pray with me right now. Heavenly Father. We, we need you now more than ever. Um, we uh, are running and we are growing weary and it's in those moments that you will pick us up and you will restore us and you will keep us. Lord, we need your strength. Uh, if there's ever been a time that we can go, we can't do this on our own, I feel like these are one of those times that the church can sit back and watch you move In far greater ways um, than we could ever dream and imagine Lord would you unite us in prayer as we come from all different points uh, over the world even as this goes out uh, to some of our missionary friends Lord would you unite us in prayer um, and would you hear our prayers for you to move and to strengthen us and to embolden us in our faith that we may proclaim that you alone are God and Jesus is alone the way to salvation. Lord, would you um, give us opportunities to share our faith, whether it's on the phone or an email or um, outside at a coffee shop with a friend. God, uh, give us those opportunities to, to love you and to serve you in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: continuing our series of God's kingdom and looking at the sermon on the mount so we'll be in Matthew 6:19 through 34 so join me there Matthew 6:19 through 34 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal
2: We are right in the middle of this great kingdom sermon of Jesus is where he's inviting us into kingdom life. And there's really no better way to sum this up than in verse 33. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. That's what this is all about. It's about, first off, seeking God himself, pursuing him, loving him, serving him, worshiping him, obeying him, and then pursuing the righteousness that he calls us into. And if we wonder what that looks like, That's what Jesus has been showing us all through this sermon. It's it's a life of dependence on God. It's a life where we hunger and thirst to be more like God. It's a life of meekness, of peacemaking, of justice. It's a life of pursuing purity. It's a life of truth speaking. It's a life where we love our enemies. It's a life where we pray for those who persecute us. It's this utterly different way. Of being in the world. And so really in chapter 5, Jesus lays out that kingdom life. And then what he does in chapter 6 is he addresses two other pursuits that most often get in the way of the pursuit of God's kingdom. And they're, they're these. First, the pursuit of human praise, which we looked at last week, and then the pursuit of worldly wealth, which we'll look at today. And these are two of the greatest temptations, two of the greatest distractions that can sidetrack us from the single-minded pursuit of God's kingdom. And what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's trying to invite us into the simplicity of living for God's kingdom alone. But the way he does it is he actually speaks words that are intended to create a crisis moment for us. He speaks the truth. He lays out reality in such a way That it creates a crisis, meaning he's trying to force us to make a decision between these two things. And so the picture I had this week is a picture of, of you know, this road diverging into two different paths. And Jesus is saying, "Hey, there's a fork in the road, and you have to decide one or the other. It's either got to be God's kingdom, or it's going to be you know pursuing human praise. Or or this week, it's either pursuing God's kingdom or pursuing worldly wealth. But it's got to be one or the other. And of course." we want to live in a way that we don't have to make that decision. We, we want to try to follow both roads at the same time and kind of try to do it all. And Jesus says, you can't do that. And you might think that you're pulling off that kind of life, but you're not. When you try to do both, that will absolutely harm your spiritual life. And it'll actually leave you full of anxiety. And it's really interesting to watch the flow of this passage, where Jesus begins with this conversation about, worldly wealth. But then that moves directly into this conversation about anxiety. And anxiety really is just the natural result of trying to pursue all of these worldly things. Anxiety happens when we're pursuing things and seeking security in things that our heart implicitly knows actually aren't secure, that we can't necessarily count on them. We might lose that at any moment. And so Jesus is saying, that's the natural result when you pursue these two things or you pursue worldly wealth. And I want to free you up from that kind of life. And so if you can make the right decision, that can lead you to this carefree life of living for God's kingdom alone. And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. And before we launch, and I I just want you to to kind of do a, a gut check on your own life right now and to consider your own heart and your own life and ask yourself this question, what fundamentally marks my life these days? Is it anxiety about the cares of the stuff of this world, or is it passion for God and His kingdom? What is it? Well, let's walk through how Jesus um, talks us through this. Uh, This is one of the most insightful penetrating passages in all of Scripture, I think. Uh, It's hard-hitting, but it's also beautiful. Okay, so first we have verses 19 to 24. And What we have in these verses is Jesus gives us three simple images and they're all kind of getting at the same thing, but from a slightly different perspective. And with each image, there comes this key implication that Jesus draws out. So let's look at these three images. So first in verse 19, we get the first image of a treasure, right? Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So I want you to picture this image. I actually want you to picture like a treasure chest, okay? And picture someone over time, you know, placing more gold coins, storing up treasure in this treasure chest. Jesus is getting at the issue of where do we make our investments? Where are we trying to store up things? What are the things that we're trying to build and keep safe and secure? And of course, it's one of two things. We can either store up treasures on earth we all know what that looks like. We can store up money in investment accounts. We can purchase real estates, real estate properties. We can have homes. We can have closets full of clothes. We can have garages full of cars and toys and all of that, right? Essentially, we can try to amass wealth for ourselves here in the 10 years we have left or the 50 years, whatever it is. That That's a way that we can invest. Or uh, we can store up what Jesus calls treasures in heaven, meaning we can actually instead, we can invest in things that have eternal value. We can invest in our relationship with God. We can pursue Him. We can pursue the righteous life He calls us to. We can invest in people and make an eternal impact on people, and we can use our stuff. We can use all of our wealth, and we can give it and use it in ways that invest in God's kingdom causes. So, Two different ways we can invest and store up treasures. And the key implication in this first one comes in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I wish he had said the opposite of that. I, I wish he had said for where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And I think a lot of us who, who you know live in Orange County, we have a lot of stuff we kind of fall back on this idea of like, yeah, I've got all this stuff, but you know, really what counts is the heart. And as long as my heart's in the right place, I'm fine. And I think Jesus would say, I agree with you. It is all about the heart. But here's the problem with that. Our hearts naturally follow after our treasures. Our our hearts are designed in such a way that they are just tethered to our treasures. And so wherever our treasures are, that's where our hearts are going to be. And so, you know, if you are making a bunch of worldly investments, I guarantee you that is where your heart's going to be. And every one of us, you know, who's ever bought a home for the first time or whoever's chosen to do a a house remodel, right? Or has bought a new car or has invested in a new stock. Um, We all know this from experience. It's absolutely true. When we make these investments, our hearts just get tied to those investments. It's just, it's just how it works. And so there's this great danger if, if that's fundamentally what your life is about, is amassing wealth and making investments in worldly goods, um, what's gonna happen is our hearts are gonna follow those things, and then our hearts for God will get smaller and smaller. And we probably won't let go of Him, we won't stop believing in Him, but our spiritual lives will lose passion, they'll lose power, They'll lose focus. Um, Jesus has this great image in the parable of the sower. He talks about the the message of the kingdom like seed that's sown on a particular soil. But the problem is it's it's sown among thorns and thistles. And so a little plant grows up, um, but then it gets choked out. And he's talking about people, these are his words. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. And honestly, I think that's a perfect description of many Orange County churchgoers. There's this little plant that has a little desire for God, but there's so much stuff that just chokes it out. It's there, but it's not fruitful. It's not flourishing. It's not growing because our hearts have followed our treasures. Now, the good news is the opposite is also true. That if we invest in eternal things, that we'll find our hearts following after those things if we are giving our wealth away to kingdom causes as as we're pouring into people, as we're serving people, as we're living our lives just trying to be about what God's about, well, we're going to find our hearts attached to that as well. And on the positive side, I can think of people in my life who for years had a really maybe bad relationship with money, but at some point, pain got them to make some changes and maybe they went through like a financial peace program or some kind of program that got them to think about money from God's perspective. And what I've heard on multiple occasions from them is this, like we thought this was about money, but as we kind of started to look at our money the way God looked at it, there were all these unintended spiritual benefits that came from that. Like when we dealt with our issue with money, we found our relationship with God growing in all sorts of ways that we wouldn't have expected. But I think we should expect that, right? Because our heart follows our treasures. And so when we're we're holding our money properly, our relationship with God can grow and thrive. Okay, so that's the first image, treasure. And Jesus is creating a crisis, right? And he's calling us, choose to treasure God's kingdom first. The second image is the image of an eye. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. Well, it's kind of a strange thought, but I, here's what you got to think of. Think of your eye looking at something. There's some, some you know, object out there and light is coming from that object through your eyes. And then that light is then shining through the rest of your body. The, the eye is like a lamp shining into your body. And what I think Jesus is trying to get at is to have us consider, what are you, what are you looking at? Where's your focus, if I can put it that way? What are you giving your attention to? What is occupying your thinking? And in the context, of course, the question is this, are you always focused on worldly wealth and possessions? Do you spend a lot of time online, for instance, right? Shopping for things, is is your Amazon cart already always full of, you know, 30 things in it? Uh, Are you always looking into when the next upgrade is coming? Are you always thinking about how you can make more? Are you always thinking about how am I gonna hold on to what I already have? Or is your focus on God's kingdom? Do you wake up each day and go, I just, I wanna seek the Lord today. I wanna love Him. I wanna see the moments of my day as opportunities to serve people, to invite God into what I'm doing, to be about what He's about. That's what I'm thinking about, right? Where's your focus, Jesus is asking. And here's the key implication of the second one. What you focus on will radically impact the rest of your life. Here's what he says in verse 22. If your eyes are healthy, right, if your focus is right, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Right? When your focus is merely on temporal things, on money and possessions it will absolutely have a harmful effect on the rest of your spiritual life. That's just the way it is. And Paul lays this out so clearly in 1 Timothy 6, talking about people whose main focus is wealth. Listen to these hard hitting words. People who want to get rich fall fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs." Now, he's talking about not just the fact of having money, but people whose focus is to get rich, people who love the idea of getting rich. And he says, in no uncertain terms, if that is your focus, that will ruin your spiritual life. And I would bet some of you could share stories from your past of when that was your focus, and how that absolutely ruined your spiritual life, and how God has used that to to change you and change your focus onto Him. And again, the opposite is true. When we choose to focus on God, when we give our attention to God, to His Word, to His kingdom, that's going to have this beautiful spiritual benefit in the rest of our lives. That's going to grow our spiritual lives. I mean, if that's our focus, day after day, over time, God will bless that and we will have these spiritual lives that are rich and full. I was thinking of, you know, Paul's image in Galatians 5 of the fruit of the Spirit, right? This is the fruit when we give our attention to the Spirit over time. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. And honestly, I look at just those first three fruit, love, joy, and peace, and in the end, that's That's what I want for my life. Like, I I want a life where I'm loving people. I want a life that's full of joy, and I don't want to be anxious all all the time. I want to be content and peaceful. And money cannot buy any of those qualities. Only a focus and a surrender to God's Spirit can do that. So Jesus creates a crisis, and he says, focus on God's kingdom, not on worldly possessions. And then the third image is the image of a servant in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. So I want you to try to picture a first century household servant in a large estate uh, somewhere in the Mediterranean, near Israel. And you picture the servant, they're running around, they're they're cleaning things up, they're preparing meals, they're basically having to do whatever it is that the, uh, the property owner wants them to do. And in the image, you're the servant. And so here Jesus is getting at this fundamental question, who do you serve? God or money? And I feel like Jesus goes for the jugular on this one. I mean, Jesus confronts an expectation or an assumption that all of us have. We all live with this assumption. Here's the assumption we live with. I'm in charge of my life, right? I'm in control of my life and my money and my possessions are here to serve me, right? My home, my car my clothes my toys my investments they are all here to serve me and make my life happier or more secure or more fulfilled or whatever and Jesus says yeah not not quite so simple <gasps> that that's actually not true because here's the problem all that stuff um, it ends up controlling you and when you look to that stuff to give you security to give you satisfaction it starts to own you. It starts to, to enslave your heart, and it absolutely starts to dictate the actual decisions you make with your life. It becomes your master. It's just the way we are. We're worshiping creatures, and we will serve something, and wealth can absolutely end up becoming our master. Most of us don't want to accept this, right? Um, but Jesus says it's true. And the key implication here, then, of course, is how he ends in verse 24. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot have two masters. Ultimately, you will give your heart. You will give your will to something. When push comes to shove, you will. And most of us want to say, I can do both, right? No, I think I'm doing both pretty well. And yet there will be moments in our lives where we'll hit a crisis and we'll have to decide. They might be small moments. They might be big moments. And in that moment, we'll realize, who is my God? Like, who do I actually serve? When push comes to shove, who has the priority in my life? Of course, we have a dramatic example of that in the story of um, uh, the rich young ruler, right? Who is this guy who, man, who loved God, I think. Uh, in, at least to an extent, and, and thought he was living the righteous life. I mean, he was obeying God's commands. This guy would have been respectable. This guy probably could have been an elder at Grace. I mean, he was a guy that we would have looked at and said, there's a good man. But Jesus intentionally creates a crisis moment. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell your stuff, and I want you to follow me. And the crisis revealed for this man something he never knew, which was that all along his wealth was, was his God. And that will happen to us in various ways. But Jesus is calling us, serve God alone. Man, don't let this stuff own you. It's just stuff, right? Don't let it own you. Serve God alone. Okay, I know that's a lot. I still got a little bit more. But all three images getting at the same thing and all driving us to this simple decision that Jesus is calling us to, which is seek first the kingdom, choose the kingdom, right? Don't seek the wealth of this world. Okay. So now I want to just step back and 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 I want you to feel the flow of this passage. Okay. So in 19 to 24, Jesus is calling us to this either-or decision. Now I want you to imagine you're one of the, the hearers of this. And imagine hearing this and going, all right, I'm in. I, I see what you're saying. I get that. I, I agree. You're you're right in what you're saying. And so I'm in, Jesus. I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm gonna seek your kingdom first. I'm going to seek your righteousness. But, but if I choose to do that, like if I say that's going to be my thing, that's what I'm going to go after, who's going to take care of my life, right? Like if I'm focused on your kingdom, I'm focused on your righteousness, there's still things in my life that need to be taken care of. I, I maybe have a family or I've got needs and who's going to take care of all of that? And of course, you already know this, but Jesus' answer is, well, who else <laughs> but your heavenly Father who loves you, right? That's what he says. Look at verse 32. Your Father knows that you need all these things. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, all these pr- things that you need, will be given to you as well. Jesus saying, here's the thing. You go after God, okay? that's your That's your focus. You go after God and you trust Him to provide the rest. You focus on God, and you let God focus on taking care of you and providing for you. And so in verse 25 to 34, He invites us into what I would call this carefree life of trusting in our Heavenly Father to provide the things of this world that we need. And it begins with this wonderfully freeing command in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry. About your life. I I like even better the translation, stop worrying about your life. Stop worrying about what you'll eat. Stop worrying about what you'll wear. Stop worrying about tomorrow. These are all these things you need. Why can you stop worrying about these things? Because God's got it. He will take care of these things for you. And what he does in this section is two things. First, he invites us into the wonderful world of nature, right? The world of Bees, or of, of, sorry, of birds and of flowers, right? He starts with the birds. Look at the birds and how they live. And, you know, um, birds actually work hard. Birds are busy, but birds don't worry. And birds don't store up for the future, do they? Birds just take each day as it comes. They are trusting that when the next day comes, they'll be what they need for that day. Much like Israel had to receive manna from God in the wilderness one day at a time. And guess what? Birds have everything they need from God, right? And then he invites us to consider flowers. Flowers don't labor. They don't toil. They don't put on makeup every day. They're not constantly worrying about what they're going to wear. And yet they are dressed beautifully by God. He clothes them. Jesus says, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Guess what? They're doing just fine. They've been doing fine for thousands of years, and God cares about you so much more than them. Now, there's an assumption that Jesus is making here that I think is fascinating, and here's the assumption. It's God's responsibility to feed us and to clothe us and to provide for us. And I think most of us don't believe that. I think most of us think, no, it's it's my responsibility to feed myself to clothe myself, right, to provide for myself or or my family. And I think Jesus would say, no, it's not your responsibility to do those things. It's your responsibility to work. (laughs) You are called to work. You are created to work and to partner with God in, in this world that He's making through our jobs and our professions and occupations. We're absolutely responsible to work, but it's not our responsibility to provide for ourselves. We work, we do the things God calls us to and we leave the responsibility of actually providing up to God. It's an interesting little distinction Jesus makes. So Jesus invites us into the world of nature. And then finally, and I love this, he's so practical. Jesus confronts us with the worthlessness of worry, doesn't he? Look at verse 27. And can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Right? Anxiety is such a funny strategy. When we anticipate a problem coming up, we we go, hmm, what should I do about this problem? I know, I'll worry about it. That'll fix things. And Jesus is like, that is an utterly worthless strategy. And he also reminds us, hey, guess what? That life of worry and anxiety, that's how pagans live. Right? Look at verse 31. So don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the pagans run after these things right? That's how pagan people live, which makes perfect sense if you're them and you don't believe in this all-powerful, loving God who cares for you and provides for you. It makes utter sense for them, but that's not you. (laughs) You believe in a God who loves you and cares for you and will absolutely provide for you. So you do not need to live the life of a pagan constantly worrying and running around trying to get the stuff of this world. You trust Him. He loves you. He's perfectly able to provide for you. All right, that was a lot. So I leave you with Jesus' thesis today. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first His righteousness. and All these things that you need, He's gonna provide for you. So I leave you with the question I started with. What marks your life these days? Is it anxiety for the stuff of this world, or is it passion for God and His kingdom? Let's just take that question to God in prayer.
3: Well, whenever we encounter Scripture, the posture we ought to have is, Lord, what is it that you have for me in your Word? We do this because our Heavenly Father speaks to us through His Word. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, puts it this way, and I really like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases these verses. It says, every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. And I really like how that ends. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. So as you took in today's teaching, what might the Lord be impressing upon your heart? And how do you want to respond to that? Or to take from Peterson's words, how might the Word of God be wanting to shape you up for the tasks He has for you? Well, I don't know how all this is hitting you, but I know for me, I have a lot of room for growth in regard to the things that we have been talking about today. And three responses come to mind. First, maybe the work for you here is one of confession. Do you find yourself too enamored or too attached to earthly treasures? And when you consider how much of your time, your heart, and your affections are occupied with longing for, acquiring, maintaining, and managing your earthly treasures, does that seem like a reasonable allocation given what Jesus is calling you to here? And this can be really hard because very often we create these well-worn grooves in our life, a way of living day in and day out that focuses on and feeds our appetite for earthly treasures. And it can be hard to get yourself out of that kind of groove. And so for us, the work here is confession, confessing to our Heavenly Father these tendencies, these attachments, and these patterns that we have. He knows these things anyway, but confession is the first step towards a process of transformation. Or maybe you find yourself worrying about your provision. And one thing I know is true. Worry and anxiety about having enough is not confined to the the poor. It exists across the socioeconomic spectrum. And carrying the burden of worry and anxiety can be oppressive. Kierkegaard said it well. No grand inquisitor has in readiness such terrible tortures as anxiety. And that certainly is true. So do you find yourself racked with worry and anxiety? And maybe the work for you is to surrender your, your grip and trust God. Since life itself comes directly from God, why should we worry? He gave you life and he will maintain it as long as he wills. If there is a God who has given us the great gift of life, and he has, we don't need to be anxious about the little things we need day by day. May this be your prayer then. Or maybe the work for you is a different kind of surrender. Maybe it's a surrender of your hold on things, a surrender of your hold on wealth, but for the sake of others. Maybe God is calling you to new vistas of generosity, a generosity that reflects a settled commitment in the Lord, a generosity that reflects an acknowledgement that all you have is actually a gift from God on loan to you, To use in such a way that reflects his heart for the world. Can you identify with one or more of these possible responses? Well, let's just take some time to bring whatever it is to the Lord. This is an opportunity to say, Lord, here I am. You know my struggle. You know my need. You know where I need to grow. Help me, Father. Give me the perspective I need. Give me the courage I need. Give me the trust I need. So let's do that together now. Father, we come before you with all manner of things on our minds, all manner of issues we are contending with, all manner of sin, anxiety, trust issues, whatever it may be but you know all this, you know us. You are intimately acquainted with every detail of our lives and you know what we need. So Lord, we come to you because of that and because we know you want us to grow in these areas and you are a good, good father. So we say, have your way with us, Lord. Take us to new places of faithfulness. May we taste and see that your ways for us are good truly the good life. Lord, we don't want to be deceived by this world and the empty promises of the things of this world. May we see accurately the true worth of things, that we might live our lives in such a way that accurately reflects that understanding. Thank you for your patience with us. Your mercy and grace overflows to us, and we are grateful. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
4: My worth is not in what I own Not in the strength of flesh and bone But in the costly wounds of love I will. Treasure, the wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him. Though I... My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, the greatest treasure, the wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him. In him, no other. My soul is in
3: him. Well, we hope you've been encouraged today by the teaching, and we invite you to continue the conversation with the discussion questions after this video.
2: And as you seek the Lord this week, we pray that you would just experience His blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.